What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. Listen, guys, we've been rolling for a while now, and I want to thank you today. I want to—I just want to take the moment here to show some gratitude. Thank you for the support that you've given me. Thank you for keeping showing up, listening, spreading the word about the What Are You Made Of podcast and all the things that I am into. I really appreciate it because my mission is that all people are unstoppable to live in the life of their dreams. And you helped me do that because I can't do it by myself. So I want to thank you today. And today's guest, Fred Joyle, he's a speaker, author, and co-founder of 1-800-DENTIST, his latest book, Super Bold, From un- Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days, came out last October and is an Amazon and Wall Street Journal bestseller. He's an avid cyclist, a below average tennis player, and even worse, golfer. I can help you with the golf part. But he once beat Sir Richard Branson in chess. Wow. Okay. So we're going to have to hear about that, I guess. Welcome to the show, Fred. Thank you for having me here, Mike. I'm, I'm really excited because, I mean, we're so completely aligned. You know, my theme about boldness and super boldness and your concept of being unstoppable. I mean, that it is, it is really the same thing. I'm just teaching a way to build your confidence and boldness in a way that people don't realize they can. A lot of people think it can't be taught. And that's one of the premises I put out there is anybody can learn this. And I think you've shown people that anybody can be unstoppable. It's, it becomes a choice after a while, and then you just build on it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions on what unstoppable means. It doesn't mean to continue doing something and not quit or pivot. When something's not working and you realize it's not working, it doesn't mean to keep going. You're going to be unstoppable to go in that direction. It means that you, you're unstoppable. You cannot be stopped when you set yourself a destination. How you get there is what you got to figure out. And, uh, but there's a lot of misconceptions with that. And the other thing real quick, before I ask you, what are you made of? Cause I'm going off track here for a second, but that's okay. When you're talking about being super bold, a lot of people, like you said, think it's something that just happens or you're born with it. When actually we were born with the ability to just survive and reproduce, and then everything else is created and caused. And people, once they realize that they're like, Oh, well, I just have to create it. Then we're there. So, so Fred, before you answer that, let me ask you a question. What are you made of? I am someone who is who when other people step down, I step up. When they feel like they've gone as far as they can and give up, that's never been me. I've always found a way and I've always been determined and energetic. And I've learned to take over the years, smarter and smarter risks. But what it's really allowed me to do is become somebody who can really give back. My goal in life after after a long and fairly successful business career is to have as much impact on other people's lives as possible and to make a bolder world. And so when you decided to be the one that rises when everyone else falls, so to speak, or pulls back, how did that happen? Is that just a decision that you made to step into that being? It was a very gradual sort of thing that I I realized uh, 
because I started off as an incredibly shy person growing up. I was, you know, I couldn't ask girls out. I couldn't ask them to dance. I, I couldn't even make a phone call. I had a job where this, this guy, the boss actually said, you're a really smart guy. I think you could be one of our salespeople. He gave me a desk, gave me a, and this was a machine shop business, gave me a desk, gave me a phone and a list of people in the businesses in the state. He says, start calling these people and see if they want to do business with us. I couldn't make a single phone call. I had like no, no, I had total telephone reluctance. And ironically, my whole business, the 1-800-DENTIST is based on a phone number, but I had to learn to step up. I had to, I watched bold people and I thought, why are they like this? Are they born this way? And I said, eventually I, I was so tired of stacking up the missed opportunities and the regrets and letting hesitation rule my life that I just said, I just got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then it starts to create this positive feedback loop because you realize all the interesting stuff happens on the other side. You realize what bold people know is that you never be, never be the one to stop you. Let somebody else try and stop you. Instead of letting the voice in your head stop you, proceed and discover what might come. And don't even be concerned so much about the outcome as stepping off the high board and seeing what happens. Yeah. And how old were you when you really had that cognition or understanding? When I got into the ad business, when I finally, I I had flailed around, took me eight years to finish college and uh, did, I probably worked in 40 or 50 different jobs and businesses over that time. And then when I finally walked into an ad agency, I found something I could love doing and get passionate about and feel like I could be good at it. And, and then it was an opportunity to be bold. It didn't, I didn't, it didn't matter that I was the junior copywriter. If I had a good idea, they'd bring me into the pitch meeting and I would give it my all. I would say, look, if they're going to give me the platform, I'm going for it. And own that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would pitch, I would pitch the hell out of my ideas and it would work. Uh, and, and then I realized, you know, I had to get better at the ideas. I had to get, become a better and better writer and presenter, but I could taste it finally. And I, I said, this is who I want to be. I don't want to hold me back. And that's what I was doing. And that's what a lot of people do in life is they, they're not, it's not boldness to just be the life of the party or, or get attention from everybody. It's about bringing the full you to every situation, particularly when it's really important to you, whether you're raising money for a business or doing a presentation to your team or asking for a raise or trying to meet the woman of your dreams or trying to meet the mentor of your, of your dreams. You got to speak up. You got to step up. You got to you got to go right into your discomfort zone, chasing it. Yeah, and and are you a dentist too? I am not a dentist. No, okay. uh, I just happened to be the industry that I went into. No, I'm a I'm a writer at core, and I've become a public speaker and a performer on top of that over the years. And it's a skill I've managed to develop, which took a lot of boldness. It takes a lot of boldness to walk on stage with five thousand people in the audience and deliver in an energized and relaxed and coherent way. Yeah. I did that this weekend at 10X Growth Conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, three, I don't know, 3,700 live and then 15,000 on virtual. Wow. And, uh, fantastic. And yeah. So I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but what I did was, and I've gone, through, this isn't something that just happens, right? You work on it. You know, you, like you said, you gradually do it, but it comes from consistent work. 
nobody sees all the work that goes in. And then I step on the steps to go up on that stage. And I own that. Uh, like I said, I own that shit. When you were talking about that earlier, like you, this is my space now, yeah. even though, you know, Grant, I respect as my mentor, business partner, and all that. But like at the end of the day, this is my space now. And you have to kind of approach that. That's how you own it. And you get certainty and confidence. And that just radiates, right? It's people are drawn to that. When you bring yourself confidently to a stage or to a room. And that's what I, you know, part of what my title of my book, the subtitle is from underconfident to charismatic. Charisma is just that you are so confident in every situation that people are drawn to that because they're not that way. They, they see it and they go, how is he like this? I, I really pulled into that. Charisma is not some magical thing. It's just, you've developed that thing where you say, I own this space. I belong everywhere. That's one of the mantras I try to teach people. If you can tell yourself, no matter where you are, that you belong there, it doesn't matter what you're dressed. If you're the, I've been in the brokest guy in the room and the least successful guy in the room. Sometimes I've been with billionaires and stuff and they're all human beings to me. I don't have to say I'm not worthy of being with these people or talking to them or telling them my ideas. When you transform that internal belief, it radiates. Yeah. And when you can bring yeah. that to the stage, people are glued to that. They are drawn completely into it. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people talk about being an adaptable to your environment, which they, they say that's a positive thing, but I disagree. I think that you need to make the environment adapt to you. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a, for a lot of my life, I was the chameleon. I was finding any way I could to blend. I don't do that anymore because what I believe what I bring is significant to people. And it's, and it doesn't have to be everywhere. You have to release this idea that everybody has to like you in order for you to step out. It's an impossible dream, right? Just like you're, you're not going to get every man. If you're a woman, you're not going to get every man to like you. All you need is one really good man to really yeah. love you. Yeah. And so stop worrying about everybody else. That's the great thing bold people do is the number of people whose opinions really matter to them is a really short list. Yeah. So take us back, where where did it all start, Fred? Like where like from a kid like growing up, where'd you grow up and you know like I know like by the way you said I am a speaker and I do this but really that's not who you are, that's what you do. We all say the same yeah. things, right? Yeah. I want to find out who Fred is. Like who who are you? Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town in Rhode Island, Coventry, Rhode Island. Not a lot going on, no actual sports of organized in any way, no little league or, you know, Pop Warner football or anything like that. It was all comic books and sandlot stuff. But I was lucky enough to go to a private school. My my parents worked really hard to to get me into an all boys high school. When, and that really, it was a, just the foundational education for me and also made incredibly good friends. And that's that's what I am at core is, you know, I value my relationships with the people close to me more than anything. I'm there for them and they know it. If they need me there, they know that my slate gets cleared. I'll cancel an event. I'll be on a plane because that's, that's what matters to me most. I've fortunately, I've been lucky enough to buy a bunch of stuff over the years and realized it affected my happiness about, you know, 2% relative to, you know, the people that, that I care about getting, you know, being with me, getting what they need from me and, and 
you know, sharing our lives and successes and failures together. And so what made you decide to write the book? I had spoken to a high school class and it was actually a, a summer session where this guy was teaching high school kids life skills. And he brought in all of these various people in various stages of success that were friends of his. And we all did our life lessons. And this was this was probably 10 years ago now. And, and one of the things that I talked about was boldness is a superpower because that's what I had learned is when you are bold, doors swing open and sometimes don't even exist where you thought they were. And, and abundance in life comes from being bold and they can learn it because I, and I told them, I said, look, I, I'm the worst of you. You want to, you, I'll go head to head with you on missed opportunities and regrets and stuff like that. You got one, I got five, right? Uh, so I said, but I taught myself this and it took me decades and you can learn it much faster. Part of it is you just have to change your mindset about yourself. And then they came to me and said, we believe you. How? How exactly do we do this? And so I really, I started to develop the systematic way. I analyzed my life and how I did it over decades and said, how could I compress this? What are these things that I learned? And some of it in the book is social interaction skills. Like a lot of people don't know how to, hey, they don't even know how to shake hands, some people, right? Or make eye contact in a conversation. I had to learn all that stuff too. Nobody taught me that. And then I said, how do I systematically build my boldness muscle? And that's what I figured out. And that's what I laid out in the book. And then I laid out a bunch of exercises in the book, which are, you know, starting very gradually and very subtly, but building constantly pushing yourself in your discomfort zone to get stronger and stronger so that you're bold when it matters most. When you're asking for a raise, when you've got to give a eulogy for a close friend or a parent and you need to step up, you want to be able to summon that because you don't want those. Are, I, I want people to live a life of minimal to no regrets. And that, that just takes boldness. And so I, once I got it all written, I said, oh, this is great. And finally in COVID, I, during 2020, I managed to finish the book and me too. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. <laughs> a lot of spare time. You oh know? man, I know. I know that, that, that was a grueling. So for me writing, uh, I had blocked time out to write and then I would uh, find time there. And then that would be a time where I just couldn't think clearly. <laughs> I wasn't creative at the time I set for myself to write. And then also rereading it over and over again for editing purposes was like a killer for me. Like I got so sick of my story. <laughs> so I don't know if you experienced that either. But I was just like, oh my gosh. But so I'm just now thought, starting to think about writing another book. But yeah, is that, is that your first book? It's actually my third. I wrote two for the dental industry on marketing. Okay. Um, and so I, like I said, at my core, I'm a writer. Uh, so I have, I have refined that skill. Advertising really taught me how to write and improv comedy really taught me how to be on stage. And, and also to just be comfortable with it, how to tap into my relaxed energized creativity. And, it, and actually, the exercises in the book are designed exactly the way they teach improv comedy in that, that gradual way. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. 
It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. So were you an actor ever? Yeah, I've acted in a hundred of uh, my businesses, TV commercials. I was the spokesperson and I've acted in, you know, four or five bad movies and a couple of TV pilots that my friends have shot. I did a play many years ago, blew out my voice doing it because I was like a drill sergeant kind of guy. So I was <laughs> yelling like crazy in it. And I, I didn't have the voice training at the time. So I, you know, two nights, in, you know, in a row, I would be toasting my, my voice. Uh, the play was streamers. I, I don't know if you would happen to know it, but so I've, I've done tons of stuff like that. It's really, really fun. It's really all discomfort zone. Well, so. and it helps, it helps with everything else. Like I, I, have you ever heard of this book here? Audition? No, no, but Michael that, Shirtleff. that's one of the classes I took was an audition class. Yeah. as well. I took a bunch of acting classes. I took some voice classes. I did a ton of improv. I, you know, the Groundlings Theater in, in Los Angeles, where Will Ferrell came from and Phil Hartman and people like that, they have a school where they teach it. And it really changed me uh, in, in terms of my ability to create and my stage comfort. Because when you have to walk on stage with no material and create a scene, yeah, that's that's so and, and you figure out how to do it going on stage prepared that's easy <laughs> yeah know, yeah that. i agree so well I, I started writing you know writing down when i was writing my goals down that i was going to be a, an actor in movies and of course i always go for the top i'm going to be a movie star one day so i just i don't know where that came from i started writing it down and i don't negotiate with things that come into my mind because it's coming from a higher power to me so i yeah. just write it down and i'm like okay well what do i got to do so i signed up for acting classes recently i'm 45 years old and signed up for acting classes with Tom Todorov. And one, they give you a list of books that you have to read before you can attend class. So this is one of them. And I didn't realize how acting was so technical. And there's technical guideposts that Michael talks about in this book. It, it just blew me away because all the guideposts work in real life. It's not just about acting. So <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe writing this down, maybe this thing came to me. It's like, you know, not necessarily to be a movie star, which I'm going to do anyway. But it's maybe because, look, this is, might be what's missing in all the other things that you're doing, and you need to do this. And uh, so no, I think that's phenomenal. I could tell from what you were talking about that you may have acted in a little bit or at least taken some, some uh, classes. So what now? 1-800-DENTIST. Fred, 1-800-DENTIST, did that start as a tech platform or is that, was it just a phone number at first? Or did it? Uh, it was pre-tech in most ways. I mean, we started in 86, so we didn't even have hard drives in our computers. We didn't have technically advanced phone systems. We just had multiple lines. But what we were doing is it was running broadcast advertising, which dentists couldn't do, radio and then television. And then we would take all the incoming calls eventually from the whole country and distribute them. So we were constantly updating our database from something very simple. I mean, we had, a, we had maps at every operator's station with little dots on them with a number on it that told us which dentist was in that area. Wow. Uh, and then eventually, you know, Google Maps comes along and suddenly it, it, now it's on the computer. So we evolved constantly with technology over 30 years. And it, it just made the business more and more functional. It made our, our search capability more robust and, and the data, but we always had way more information about the dentist than anybody else. We were, we were Yelp way before Yelp came along. We had highly recommended dentists and we knew everything about them, all their training, you know, everything about the practice and the things they offered. 
and even the insurances they took, all of that stuff. So we were, for many years, we were just the best possible resource to find this thing that people were really uncomfortable about, which is going to the dentist. I mean, you want to talk about selling something hard? I sold going to the dentist for 30 years. And then I sold two dentists, like two incredibly hard things. It's like, why can't I sell? Why didn't I come up with Hawaiian Tropic? You know, why wasn't that my epiphany <laughs> for a business? You know, yeah. girls in bikinis and, and uh, just events at beaches. Wouldn't that be, have been nice? But I used to think about that when I, before I was married and met my wife, I used to think about that. Like, should I be a photographer? and then have a certain niche client, you know? Yeah. yeah. man, I'll tell you. So then, so are you still a part owner of that or have a piece of that or did you sell it? I sold it five years ago. (laughs) Uh, Eventually Google disintermediated the business model. Just people just started searching for dentists online and looking for their website. So it took them a long time to do it, but Google eventually turned the model into something that was shrinking and losing profit on a steady basis. But we gener- over 30 years, we generated in total over a billion dollars in revenue. So nothing to be ashamed of. Then the fact that the model lasted 30 years was pretty good. I mean, it's still around, but it's a pale shadow of what it once was. And I haven't owned it for five years. And so when somebody comes in to buy a company like that, that is has been taken over by another, like Google, for example, why would somebody buy it at that point? And how did you know, like, I guess my thought, one, why would they buy it? And two, are you happy that you waited to sell it that long? Or can you get into that a little bit? No, I'm unhappy that I waited that long. Yeah, But uh, I actually had a great buyer in 2007, but then the market collapsed, you know, from the, you know, all of the things that happened for the first time our growth dipped off and we we actually de- we didn't decrease in revenue but we we decreased in call volume and we had two buyers bidding against each other and then they and they had overbid they had pushed each other up really to like nosebleed le- nosebleed nosebleed level because they wanted it and then once our our call volume dropped off because everybody all the the ARM loans and stuff like that. People were were getting were losing their houses and their mortgages and stuff like that. It, people got really conservative on spending on elective stuff in dentistry, you know, veneers yeah. and and stuff like that, and orthodontic. And so we lost some volume, and they panicked and both withdrew their offers, and that would have really set me up nicely. So we just ran it for another ten years almost, and you know, made plenty of money in those 10 years, but it definitely, we stalled. I mean, we couldn't get, we couldn't grow at all. We leveled off and, uh, and then we could start to see Google just eating our lunch. And we were spending a half a million dollars a month with Google. I mean, and they would tell us to our face, you know, our goal is to erase you, but in the meantime, we'll take your money. And then, so why did somebody buy it eventually? Like, what was the purpose of them thinking? What they, was their goal? In it? They, they had a, a synergistic approach. They were going to take it and launch a, a very specific type of dental product campaign. They were a technology company that had this new technology that made dentistry faster and easier for people get a lot of appointments done in, in a single visit, crowns in a single visit and stuff. So they were going to do this whole massive campaign. They were going to invest in it because to, to have dentists want that their technology means they sold a ton of it. So if the consumer was pushing it and saying, why do you have this? And the dentist would go, no, I don't have that. 
So the dentist would have to buy it. So they were, they yeah. were hoping for a consumer-driven push to sell their technology to the dentist. And we had been talking about it for years. Well, they bought us and then merged with another huge company three months later. Then it, that turned into a massive culture clash. We got totally sidelined for three years. And by then they had let our, you know, three more years of letting it, the model suffer to the point. So they paid a decent amount for it, but it was nowhere near what I would have gotten in 2008. But then they, they killed it. You know, they essentially sacrificed it because they could, they had so much bigger problems. Gotcha. And so that was, you know, it's tough to watch your baby go slowly down the drain, but it, hey, it happens. And then how do you use that? As we wind down, I have, I have uh, one more question after this, but how do you use that? Like to, you know, there's things that happen in your life that disappoint you, discourage you. How did you convert that into some kind of energy to use for, for, uh, you know, Hey, sometimes the worst possible thing happens. If you don't die, it means you're going to be all right. So what's in it. So now I coach businesses. I have half a dozen CEOs that I coach who are younger and maybe some of them are in the dental industry or coming into the dental industry. And I basically say, I can help you hit different potholes. You know, all I, the history of my business is survivable mistakes. Mm -hmm. I can help you make different mistakes or different choices <laughs> and save you hundreds, if not millions of dollars. If I only had the money from my mistakes, I could, you know, I would be fine, but that's not how it works. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you have the world's most expensive MBA running yeah. a business. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Fred, as we wind down here, what is the vision for the future for you? Uh, my goal is to create boldness and super boldness as a movement that impacts millions of people to live bolder, more adventurous lives where they know how to chase their dreams and they put it all out on the mat. And at the end of their lives, they don't say, I played it as safe as possible. They say, man, I'm beaten and broken and had a great time. And, and tried everything. Because when th the number one thing that people say in the, as they get near death is they don't regret the things they did. They regret the things they didn't try, yeah. so that they didn't resolve, that they didn't, they didn't fix their relationship with their dad or their sibling, or they didn't try that business, or they didn't get out of that crappy marriage, whatever it was. They, the things they didn't do, didn't say, didn't try, that's what's gnawing at them in their last days. I want to create a boldness movement where that's not happening to millions and millions of people. Love it, man. Love it. Well, look, Fred, I want to thank you for being here. I'm full alignment with your mission. If there's anything I could ever do to support it, which I know there is something, which I'll share with you later, but anything you need, you ever need anything, connections, whatever. Uh, now that we're connected, man, just reach out and ask, okay? Thanks, C-Rock. I love being on. I, I, I love your mission. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners for being here, listening, watching. Uh, keep coming back. Go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Go look at you know YouTube. Check it out if you want to watch these. Subscribe to my favorite YouTube channel. And finally, go check out Blueprinted, B-L-O-O printed.com, where you can find step-by-step -step processes to achieve any goal in any category, any industry. Go check out Blueprinted.com. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com. 
and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.